Well, like Adrian mentioned, today we are wrapping up our series called Minor Prophets, Major Lessons. This is the you know, 12 minor prophets that are in the Old Testament. We're only covering four for right now. We figured, I figured, you know, we could do a 12-week series on Old Testament minor prophets. Would you guys be excited about that? Like, should we keep going? <laughs> no. Okay, mixed bag, which is what I thought. You know, so we'll come back around, circle back around for the rest of the minor prophets a little bit later on. But for this morning, our prophet is Obadiah. And Obadiah is the shortest of the minor prophets. So he's the most minor minor prophet that uh, there is in the Old Testament, weighing in at just one chapter with 21 verses. But there's still a major lesson to be learned. So a really quick read for you. Hopefully throughout the sermon series, you've been incorporating that into your Bible reading during the week, that you've been reading through some of the chapters of these minor prophets and getting more familiar with them in case you know, maybe you've never read them before. So this is just one chapter, 21 verses. You can make it happen. You could do that right now if you wanted to. You kind of skim, skim right through it. And Obadiah is especially poignant if you've ever experience bad blood between family members, maybe bad blood in a relationship, and if you've ever wondered if there's justice for those who don't seem to get what's coming to them. Have you ever ever wondered that before? I'm not sure if you've ever thought about or contemplated revenge much in your life, but I know I have. I promise that sounds a lot worse than it really is. Sometimes I'll do it on the volleyball court. I'll actually, and I don't tell my teammates this or, or anything like this. I'm just sharing it just between us, right? So don't, don't share it with anybody else. But I'll, I'll pick another player on the other team who maybe is playing well or something like that. And I will, um, I, you know, I just use it as motivation and to, to get the competitive juices flowing. And I'll see how many times I can get one up on them. I do. And, and some of you will know what I'm talking about. Maybe you've played sports and that kind of thing. But I, like, I'll keep track mentally. All right, how many points do they get? I'm going to get at least one more point than they have. You know, something, something like that. It's just part of the competitive juices. Sometimes, though, it's a much longer burn that sticks with you, something that will be back in, the head, back in your head for a very long time. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Maybe something has popped up in your head right now that you want to get back at somebody for. So not quite a year ago, I got home late one evening. Hadn't had anything to eat yet, so I got some dinner, you know, got some leftovers that, that were there, something that Renee had fixed earlier. And then I noticed that there was an, un, an opened bag of double stuff Oreos on one of the counters. And within that bag, there were two Oreos left. And I really like Oreos, that, you know, and, and I, I enjoy those. And so I grabbed the last two, and, and I, I popped the first one into my mouth. The whole thing. In, in my mouth. And that was a mistake. Because my family, and more importantly, my, my dearly loved oldest daughter, whom, whom I love so much, and I know loves her dear old dad so much, knew that I would do this with these Oreos. And I noticed that this Oreo that I popped wholly into my mouth, it was a little, you know, that one of the cookies was a little bit broken and, and seemed a little, little funny and stuff, but that didn't bother me. It's an Oreo, right? I don't care if it's broken or not. I'm going I'm to go to town. Um, and so um, my, my beloved daughter decided to, while I was gone, you know, working late, slaving away from the family, you know, you know <laughs> she decided she was going to scrape out the cream filling in the Oreo and replace it with toothpaste. And as soon as that cookie hit my mouth, the first thought I had was, I don't remember these being the mint Oreos. You know, you know they have those, right? The mint, which I think are amazing. I love, I love mint and chocolate, you know, Andy's mints, those kinds of things. I think it's amazing. Mint chocolate chip, my favorite ice cream. 
My teeth closed down on the cookie, though, and I said, man, this, I just don't remember these being mint Oreos. And the burst of toothpaste exploded in my mouth. Luckily, the trash can was right there, because if it wasn't, I would have spit it all over the floor. You know, but immediately went, went back and started spitting, and, you know, getting it, you know, getting it out as, as best, best I could. And then I hear my lovely, beautiful, caring, supportive wife on the other end of the house just start burst out laughing. <laughs> And I head back to the back of the house, and everybody, all of them, all of them are just laughing, you know, enjoying this. They think it's hilarious. And, she, you know, because they all knew what happened. As soon as they heard me spitting it out of my mouth, you know, going, oh, what in the world? You know, what, what is going on? And I told my daughter this. I told her how much I loved her, but I also told her I would get her back when she least expects it. And you know what stinks? Last time I had an Oreo, I sniffed it before I ate it. You know, it's like I, I can't even trust the thing that I enjoy. And, and that's, so that's something that's going to that's, that's stick with me, but I'm not bitter. I'm just going to get even. But we never really do, do we? You know, when we go through those things, we're like, oh, man, I just want to get even or get one up on this person. It never really works out that way. Even if we get one up on, a one up on, some, on someone, it might temporarily, temporarily register in the pleasure center of our brain, but it doesn't, doesn't stay that way. Eventually, the gotcha moment satisfaction goes away, normally, normally pretty quickly, and we're simply left dissatisfied. If we're not careful, that dissatisfaction can lead to some pretty dark places in our lives, like regret, bitterness, or even the desire for vengeance. And those will lead to irreversible problems in our lives if we don't learn that we must reorient our lives away from being focused on the wrong thing that has been done to us to the right thing to be done. And that right thing is always available to us because of what Jesus has done on the cross and what life with God means for us as it transforms our hearts and our minds and our souls. And the book of Obadiah reveals what the end result of a life lived for all the wrong reasons eventually results in. And so Obadiah chapter 1, verse 1, the vision of Obadiah. This is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, rise, let us go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. And so it becomes very quickly obvious, especially as we've read through and gone through the last three minor prophets that we've studied the last few weeks, that the subject that God has given Obadiah a message about actually isn't related to the northern kingdom of Israel or the southern kingdom of Judah, but it's about the nation of Edom, and things are not going to go very well for this people. And I've got a picture of a map here, and so Edom was below south of Judah. This is the southern kingdom of Judah made up of two tribes of Israel, and then the northern kingdom of Israel was made up of ten tribes above, above them. And they weren't just any neighboring country to Judah, though. They were actually blood relatives descended from the line of Abraham himself. So a little bit of historical context. The Edomites were the descendants of Esau, who was the older twin brother of Jacob. They were the sons of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham. Abraham's the one who made the covenant that God made the covenant with to have the people of Israel to be the beginning of a great nation. And Esau's brother Jacob, whose name was later changed to Israel, became the father to the 12 sons who would be the namesakes of the 12 tribes of Israel who were the people of God. 
And to understand why Edom is the unhappy subject of Obadiah's prophetic message is to understand what the relationship was between Esau and his brother Jacob. Now, some of you are familiar with this and you know the story, you remember it, you're familiar with it because you grew up in church. Some of you maybe could use a refresher, have never heard about this before. So let me give you a quick rundown of what happens between Esau and Jacob. And you can start off in their story in Genesis chapter 25 if you're curious enough to check that out later. As the firstborn of the fraternal twins, Esau should have received the birthright of the oldest son. So he should have received the largest portion of the inheritance, a blessing from their father that was commensurate with his birth order, and the assumption of the patriarchal role when his father died. And so really, Esau should have been Jacob, but that's not how it worked out. Because Esau traded his birthright to his scheming brother Jacob, And it involved an unsuccessful hunting trip and a bowl of lentil stew. And so Esau was a pretty rash guy, didn't make very good decisions, didn't plan ahead very well, and Jacob had taken advantage of that. So he had given up his inheritance for a bowl of stew. Later, to ensure that Esau would not go back on their deal, Jacob impersonated Esau, tricking his dying father into giving him the blessing of the firstborn. And when Esau found out, He vowed to kill Jacob as soon as their father took his last dying breath. And I know some of you are thinking, sounds like a normal Thanksgiving. (laughs) While Esau and Jacob gave it a go later on at reconciliation in their lives, the animosity and bitterness over that ancestry and what had happened between them flowed through generation after generation of their descendants. The Hatfields and McCoys had nothing on this. And they didn't just live separately from each other. They fought against one another. And ultimately, after generation after generation after generation of this, God calls out Edom and promises justice against them for their crimes against their people. And not only were they intentionally antagonistic, they were opportunistic in taking advantage of any harm done against Judah. I mean, they were the ones that didn't just sit back and watch Babylon come and take them over. They actively participated in this, trying to ruin Judah forever. And so Obadiah outlines the crimes against God's people Edom has committed, though they should have known better, and proclaims God's judgment against them. But when we get to verse 15, we realize this isn't just about Edom, and it's not just about what happened between Esau and Jacob, that this lesson of God's righteousness and justice isn't just reserved for them, but that it's a principle that applies to all nations. And here's what God says in Obadiah chapter 1, verse 15. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. A couple weeks ago in our sermon on Joel, Joel, his entire theme was centered around the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord, as we talked about, it refers to two things. And this is a theme that goes throughout the prophets, throughout the entire Old and New Testament of the Bible. That Number one, the day of the Lord refers to significant events of God's judgment and or his deliverance. And two, the day of the Lord refers to the day that will end all days, that there's a day coming in which all wrongs will be righted, all evil eradicated, and all life restored to its original design. And that's what God promises when Jesus comes back in the second coming. So Obadiah is reminding everyone that this isn't a truth that only Edom will be confronted by, that it's a reality for everyone, that accountability is a very real part of a world built and created by God on principle and on purpose. And so the second half of verse 15 reveals the standard by which God determines how his justice will apply to our lives. And Jesus teaches this as the, what we refer to, golden rule, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. 
And this is why revenge is so problematic and it never satisfies, it never gives us exactly what we're seeking after in our lives when we involve ourselves in trying to make sure someone else gets what's coming to them. Because all we're really doing is stooping down to a level that not only is not sustainable, but it's against God. And God promises to correct all injustice. Even the injustice our pride leads us to believe we're entitled to participate in because of the wrongs done against us. And Esau's descendants had long held on to the wilderness that overtook his identity. And even though Jacob arguably was a bit of a punk, you know, the Edomites altered the trajectory of their existence because their actions didn't just put themselves on the wrong side of Israel, you know, trying to get them back for what Jacob had done to Esau so long ago. They put them on the wrong side of God. And so no matter how justified our sense of comeuppance for another might be, our desire to see someone else fail comes from a dark place fueled by selfish pride, which puts us against God in our lives. And consume the Edomites, and it will consume us too if we aren't careful to direct our energy into doing the, God, the good that God calls us to rather than live our lives in response to what happens to us. Paul writes this in Galatians chapter 6, Do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. It's what should set us apart from everyone else. It's what should cause others to sit up and take note of how different our lives are from the lives of everyone else who lives according to the world's standards. Um, and our natural inclination is to fight fire with fire. And some of that is just how we're naturally, naturally wired. You know, it's the fight or flight. Um, and and that's, that, some of that's okay, but some of that we've got to let go of. You know, you said, what about my mama? Oh, well, your mama. You know, I've got some your mama jokes that we could go for. You know, oh, you want to stab me in the back? Oh, wait till I see what I, you know, I do to you. Oh, you're going to cut me off? Oh, I, I got you next time. You know, we're going to see what happens. Any perceived slight can turn into a motivation for revenge, but all that does is spread the misery around and cause us to hold on to it longer. It really just harms us in the long run. And the only prescription for right and wrongs is doing good. And this is what God teaches. This is a part of his righteousness and his justice and how he works out his grace and mercy in our lives. Years ago, I used an illustration that I think bears repeating. Everywhere we go, and, and we, we, can, we can see this, we can observe this, especially in, in these days that we live in right now. Everywhere we go, there are people inflamed because of injustices, both real and some that are just perceived or made up. And every one of us, everywhere we go, with all the, these inflamed people are carrying two buckets around. One bucket's red, one bucket's blue. And in that red bucket, we have what seems to be like an endless supply of gasoline, and we can go around to those inflamed people and, and completely disregard the fact that gas is two sixty a gallon right now. And we just we just gonna toss it, right? We're just gonna spray it around. Who cares how much how much it costs? You know, because we got stimulus check coming, right? So we we're gonna refill that bucket and it's, and it's gonna be great no matter what. Because you know, that's just that's kind of our natural inclination to fight fire with fire. But in that blue bucket, we have precious, life-giving, cool water that could cool the flames and temper relationships so that those relationships, those other people, and ourselves won't be consumed. And I know which one God is looking for us to use, and I know which one gives us life, and I know which one he keeps refilled through his Holy Spirit. 
Edom's downfall was a result of their pride, the unwillingness to let go of their own need to control the narrative. So here are a couple of reminders that God's pronouncement through Obadiah gives us on how to handle injustice. The first is this, don't supersede God's authority as our sovereign king. God promises to right all wrongs. He promises that vengeance is his, that he will fight for us. When we take matters into our own hands, our reasons 9.99 times out of 10 come from wrong motivations. Edom dug their own grave, so to speak, and we shouldn't be so quick to help anyone dig theirs because we might be the ones who fall in. Second is this, don't let how you've been wronged control how you respond to the world. There's nothing more miserable than living your life trying to prove people wrong, especially when they're the people who have wronged you because they're not the ones who are going to be convinced or satisfied by what you do anyway. And I'm talking about actually being wrong. I'm not talking about being offended. Being offended is our choice and not a part of that. I'm talking about actually being wrong. As followers of Jesus, we're not called to make people feel how we felt. We're called to reflect the hope of Christ. The gotchas, the one-upmanship of today, the type of culture that exists in our world does not produce the life of the Spirit. Joy, hope, peace will remain elusive if we're looking for them to be fulfilled through other people and other situations rather than God. And the third thing is this. Don't forget that responding with goodness comes from strength. The God of angel armies is on our side. And when that is the case, we can move through life with an unflappable hope and an unflappable confidence that is directed by the Holy Spirit at work within our hearts rather than stooping to the level of pain and suffering, grief and discontent that those who have not yet been lifted up by the grace of God still wrestle with. The goodness that we respond with shouldn't just be pity either. It's like, oh, look at those poor souls, you know, because that's a way that we use our pride to kind of prop ourselves to make ourselves feel better and look better and be better than someone else. God desires for us to follow Jesus in developing genuine love for one another, even for our enemies. We pray for them, we respond as Jesus does, and we hope for changed hearts that say yes to Jesus. Obadiah closes out with a promise that in the end, no enemy will prevail, but that the kingdom of God will overtake all other kingdoms. And so Obadiah chapter 1, verses 17 through 21, God says this, On Mount Zion will be deliverance, it will be holy, and Jacob will possess his inheritance. Jacob will be a fire, Joseph a flame, Esau will be stubble, and they will set him on fire and destroy him. There will be no survivors from Esau. The Lord has spoken. People from the Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau, and people from the foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will occupy the fields of Ephraim and Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. This company of Israelite exiles who are in Canaan and will possess the land as far as Zarephath, the exiles from Jerusalem who are in Sepharad, will possess the towns of the Negev. Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. The same kingdom that Jesus taught about, that Jesus lived out, that ushers in, that we live in today, and the same kingdom we look forward to in that final day of the Lord, in which every tongue, tribe, and nation will be represented in acknowledgement and worship, that's the kingdom that God promises will prevail. And so may we exchange the ethic of the kingdoms of this world for God's kingdom. May we exchange our bitterness for the joy that God promises and ensures for us. And may we view others not through the lens of how they've wronged us, but through how God has empowered us with his Holy Spirit to pursue goodness and love and joy and peace. Because that's who we are. 
That's our identity. Our identity. It's not doesn't come from what other people have done, how they have wronged us, how they've affected our lives. It comes from God. He's the one who ensures that. He's the one who fights for us. He's the one who promises us a brand new whole life. So as we prepare our hearts and minds to take communion with each other, I just want to pray for us and ask you to join me in meditating on what it means to live a life that, that is not based on the wrongs that other people have done, but is based on the goodness that God has ensured in our lives and calls us to participate in. Let's pray. God, there are a lot of reasons for us to be bitter or angry or regretful in this world, and it seems like a lot of people are caught up in those very things and how they think about other people and how they talk about other people, the actions that they participate in. And God, we know that those are all things that you have called us out of as followers of Christ. That as we've said yes to Jesus, that, that you provide a brand new life for us, that you sustain it in us through your Holy Spirit. And God, we just ask that you keep us mindful of that. As we think about our motivations and how we talk about people, how we treat people, how we think about the world around us, that you would remind us of the goodness that you've called us to. That that, that is the thing that should motivate us. That's the thing that we should base how we approach anyone in our lives. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the sacrifice, his death, burial, and resurrection that makes all this possible. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.